I'm not one of those people who is afraid of flying. I do not doubt the soundness of the airplane. I know that it's more likely that I would be struck by lightning than to crash in an airplane. But, but every time there's a sudden drop and you hear that bing sound and you look up and the fastened seat belt light comes on, I can't help but question the skill of the pilot or the safety of the airplane. Anybody else? And I feel that this is, and I, I, just, I just lose my confidence so quickly, right? I lose my confidence so quickly at the slightest tinge of uncertainty. And I feel like this is not just true about airplanes, but in life generally. We tend to lose our confidence so quickly. And often that's because our confidence is placed in the wrong things. And when the storms of life come, when our confidence is found not in the Lord, when the storms of life come, it really rattles us, it really shakes us. We lose our bearings, we lose our confidence, and we lose our peace. And so with today being the first day of the new year, 2023, I want us to look at where our peace and where our confidence comes from. And as you start this new year, I want you to think about where your peace is found, where your confidence is found. Where are you going to find peace this year, in the year 2023? And if it's misplaced, I want this to be an opportunity for you to resolve to find peace in the Lord this year. And so today, we're going to look at Psalm 46. And we're going to see what the psalmist has to say about where our confidence and peace come from. So go ahead, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 46. This chapter is filled with turbulence, with shaking, with upending, and yet we see that the author, this psalmist, declare his total trust in the Lord. And so today we're going to see that, this is our big truth for today, that we have an unshakable refuge, an unwavering confidence, and an unceasing peace that comes from the Lord. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. 
He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This psalm is a song that celebrates the holy city Zion, and it celebrates the presence of God in the midst of it. Charles Spurgeon called this psalm the song of holy confidence. And so we're going to look at this psalm into, in three sections, three big ideas. And commentators have found it difficult to uh, find what the occasion was that prompted the psalmist to write this psalm. It's probably due to an occasion where uh, Jerusalem was defended against uh, opposing enemies and nations. One commentator says that whatever the original circumstance is, it is true that God alone is our defense and that our ultimate security does not rest in any earthly city, but in the heavenly city prepared for us by God. And one other uh, just piece of context that I want to give you guys, and you actually may already know this, but this psalm was the inspiration and is essentially paraphrased in Martin Luther's uh, hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And many of us know Martin Luther, the great reformer. We know him by his nailing of the 95 Theses onto the door in Wittenberg, Germany on October 31st in 1517. And this was the spark that that caused the Reformation, that, that was the cause of the split between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. And Martin Luther, during this time, he endured some pretty difficult days. He was in great danger often. He said that he got terribly depressed and discouraged. It said that he would turn to his coworker and his friend, and he would say, Come, Philip, let us read the 46th Psalm. Luther's song was written sometime in the late 1520s, uh, during a really, really dark season of life. Uh, in fact, the bubonic plague had just come to Wittenberg, Germany, and people were fleeing the city. But he and his pregnant wife stayed in the city in order to open their doors to minister and care for the sick. Luther had friends and peers who at this time were being martyred for their faith. He wrote about his poor health, his depression. He wrote that his daughter was born ill. He was facing abuses within the Roman church, and it's yet against this backdrop that he wrote the battle hymn of the Reformation, a mighty fortress is our God, and it comes from this psalm, Psalm 46. And so with that as kind of some context, let's go ahead and jump into our first big idea. When we take refuge in the Lord, our fears will fade. When we take refuge in the Lord, our fears will fade. And this will be the first three verses that we cover. And this psalm wastes no time. Verse 1 sets the stage for the entire rest of the psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength. And the dictionary defines refuge as a condition of being safe or sheltered from danger or trouble. God is a mighty fortress. Picture a a fortified city, a fortified castle. Picture high rock walls. For you Lord of the Rings fans, picture Helm's Deep, right? This city that's built into the side of a mountain. And with God as our refuge, 
the nations as they rage, the storm as it comes, cannot breach these walls. It's impenetrable. The one who is sovereign over all, the one who by his spoken word created the universe, created the materials to build earthly castles, he is our fortress. He is our refuge. And the psalmist says that God is a refuge and that he is also our strength. When we are weak, he makes us strong. He enables us to face the trouble that is ahead. In verse 1, it goes on to say that God is a very present help in trouble. The psalmist is highlighting where the source of his confidence come from. The Lord is an ever-present source of strength when we are in need. We can turn to him. We can draw near to the throne of God and receive grace and mercy in time of need. Where else? Where else can we turn to that has this much stability, that provides this much certainty? And although we may say that God is our refuge, we may say that practically, we often slip into functionally taking refuge in earthly things. We fall into the trap that believing our security comes elsewhere. We fall into the trap of, of believing that we can take refuge in a stable, in a well-paying job. If we just accumulate enough wealth, we'll have security and peace and joy. We take refuge in the comfort of our homes. I know that renting can be difficult, and we think that once we just own a home, we'll be set. Once we just get a nice little piece of land, we'll have security, we'll have peace and joy. We believe that we can take refuge in our health and fitness. I know that a lot of you probably have fitness goals for 2023. I know that I do, but we can fall into the trap of thinking that's where I'm going to find my security, is if I just get healthy, if I just lose some weight. Or we believe that we can take refuge knowing that our friends and our family, that they are healthy. Being that we live in Colorado, I often hear people say that we that they take refuge in the mountains, right? That that's our getaway, that's our escape. Once I get to the mountains, I'll find peace. And I love the mountains. But time and time and time again, all of these things prove to be terrible places to take refuge in. These refuges have cracks. They have foundation issues. And they are not going to give you the confidence and the peace that your soul longs for. When God is our refuge, when God is our strength, we have a firm foundation to weather whatever storms of life may blow our way. And this leads into verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. The result of faith in God and finding refuge in Him is overcoming fear. When we take refuge in the Lord, our fears will fade. Our fear can be overcome even in the worst kinds of trouble. And here, look what type of trouble the psalmist draws our attention to. The earth gives way. The mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam. The mountains tremble at the swelling of the sea. This is a complete undoing of Genesis 1 and 2. This is a complete undoing of creation. 
In this picture, we see an upside-down world. Mountains are crushed and consumed by the sea, by the waters. This is truly the worst-case scenario, right? Mountains are crushed and consumed. Every, this is a terrifying situation that if we found ourselves in, we would be utterly useless, utterly helpless. And we often believe that the earth underneath our feet is a firm foundation, right? It's a pretty strong refuge, but here in this psalm, we read that the foundation of the earth gives way and is swallowed up by the sea. But even in the worst case scenario like this, the author of this psalm says that we will not fear. God is present in every time of trouble. And so as we enter this new year, I know that Many of us are facing fears. We are facing instability. We are facing uncertainty. And some days it feels like the picture here in Psalm 46, where the world is upside down, where it seems like the walls are closing in around us. What fears do you have this year, in the year 2023? What do you fear happening? Or what do you fear not happening? The psalmist wants us to be confident that whatever trial comes crashing our way, that we do not have to fear. God is with us always. He is an ever-present help. He is our refuge and our strength. He is the foundation of our confidence and our peace. He is sure. He is steady. He is unmoving. He is unchanging. When you are fearful, when your world gets turned upside down, find refuge in the Lord and in his strength, and your fears will flee. This refuge goes on to be depicted in the next few verses as a city of God. And in this city is the Lord's presence. And where the Lord's presence is found, peace is found. And this takes us to verses 4 through 7. And this is our second big idea for today. When we take refuge in the Lord, we will find peace in the storm. I'll reread verses 4 through 7 for us real quick here. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so we see that In the midst of chaos, there is a city at peace. And in this city is a river that runs through it, bringing joy to its citizens. It's God's chosen city. It's Zion. And this city is set in contrast to what's happening outside the city walls. Outside the city walls, there is chaos. But the city remains untouched. These verses have a double meaning. It's referring to the earthly city of Jerusalem, but it's also referring to the heavenly city. It's referring to the place where God dwells with his people. And the city of God 
in the Bible is a major theme. And it actually starts in the Garden of Eden. It starts at the beginning of the Bible because it is there that God dwelt with his people. It is there that God chose to be with his people. It's a place of paradise, a place of blessing, a place of joy. And Adam and Eve got to enjoy this place. They got to experience this. And running through this garden is this river that flows out from the garden into the rest of the world, bringing life. But we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin. They turn from following God. And as a result, they are exiled from the Garden of Eden. They are banished east. They are exiled from God's presence. But God has been on a mission, an unfolding plan of redemption, to bring his people back into his presence. And later, in the biblical story, when the temple is designed and and built and constructed to replace the tabernacle, it is modeled after the Garden of Eden. In the city of Jerusalem, there is a temple. And within the temple, there's a holy place. And within the holy place, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And it is there that God's presence was to dwell in the city. But continually, Israel forsakes God. They follow foreign gods. They follow false gods. And God warns them to turn and follow the one true and living God. But they disobey And God warns them that they not take heed, and so God allows for the temple to be destroyed. He allows for Jerusalem to be destroyed. He sends them into exile, and he removes his presence from the people of God. And Israel is left wondering, will we ever be restored back into the presence of God, back into this Garden of Eden, this place of paradise? And the temple is meant to point us to Jesus. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus claimed that he was the temple. The Jews asked Jesus for a sign, and Jesus responds in John 2, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus is the true temple. It is in Jesus and because of Jesus that we can experience the presence of God and thus the peace of God. Psalm 1611 says that in your presence there is fullness of joy. When we trust in Christ's perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection, we can dwell again in the presence of God because our sins are forgiven and the presence of God can dwell in us. As believers, we've been given the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. We become metaphors for the temple. This is why Peter says that we are living stones, living stones that are being built up to be God's temple. Jesus is this temple. He is the temple in which we find ultimate refuge, confidence, joy, and peace. And we see when Jesus returns a second time, we see the culmination of this temple. In the new Jerusalem, in the renewed heavens and earth, that happen after Jesus returns and inaugurates his eternal kingdom, we see that there's actually no physical temple at all. In Revelation 21, the author John says, I saw no temple, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. 
Because Jesus is the temple, there's no need of a physical structure anymore. Because the entire new creation is where God dwells with his people. John says in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This picture in Psalm 46 is a city that's at peace because God's presence is in the midst of it. When we place our faith in Christ, this city of peace becomes ours as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and guarantees that one day we will dwell fully and bodily with the Lord God Almighty forever. Verse 6 says that the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The imagery, back in verses 2 and 3, of the raging seas and the mountains crashing and the earth giving way, is represented again here in verse 6, but this time the chaos is represented by nations raging and kingdoms tottering. Around this holy city of Zion, there are nations that are at war, that are in distress, that are in turmoil. Nations who want to destroy the inhabitants of this city. Not only is the creation itself crashing down around the city, but so are all of the enemy nations. And maybe that's where you find yourself as you head into the new year. Maybe you feel like the world is crashing in around you. Maybe you aren't feeling the peace that's talked about inside these city walls. Maybe rather your life is marked by the chaos that's represented outside of these city walls. Maybe you find you do not have this peace because you have misplaced the source of your peace. In this psalm we see a struggle against nations and kingdoms. Do you have a lack of peace because of the nation's raging, because of the decisions that the government makes? Are you swept up in politics to the point where your peace and joy is correlated with a political outcome? Or maybe your life is not marked by peace because of worry. Worry about inflation. Worry about not being able to buy a home to raise your family and worry about your kids growing up in this current cultural moment and the pressures and the influence that they're going to have to deal with. Maybe you don't have peace because you cannot seem to find a job that you like, that gives you purpose, that respects you, that helps you get ahead in life. Maybe you have all of these New Year's resolutions and you just feel panic about trying to keep them all. You so desperately want this year to be better than last year. But when the nations rage, when earthly kingdoms waver, when it seems like the world is crashing in around you, you can take refuge in the city of God. You can find peace in the Lord's presence. Notice the first thing mentioned in verse 4. There is a river flowing through this city, a river that makes glad the city of God. Why does it make glad the city of God? Because this river is a metaphor for peace, 
for life, for blessing, for joy, for restoration, and for ultimately experiencing the Lord's presence. This river that flows in Zion is in contrast to the picture of the roaring, raging, foaming sea that we saw back in verses 2 and 3. Because the sea is chaotic. The sea is dangerous. It has the power to consume and to destroy. It's unpredictable. It is untamable. Especially in these ancient times, people were terrified of the sea. They didn't have any weather models to tell you about the upcoming storms. They couldn't open up the weather app on their phone and see that there's a winter storm advisory. No, they didn't have that. The sea was wild. And it still is wild, actually. But here, we see a contrast to that. We see that this river flowing peacefully through the fortress that is in the city of God. Verse 5 tells us that inside these walls is the holy habitation of the Most High. What that means is that inside these walls is the dwelling place of God. The river symbolizes the Lord's presence, and besides this river is safety, is security, is, is refuge, is peace. Inside these walls is stability, is certainty. In Revelation chapter 4, John is taken to this throne room. It's where God dwells, this, this, this heavenly vision that he has. And it's just this incredible picture. There's flashes of lightning. There's blinding, vivid color bouncing around the room. There's fire. There's this thunderstorm. And in the midst of all of this, and before the throne of God, there's a sea. And you would think that given the surrounding environment, that this sea would be stirred up. It'd be chaotic. But it's not. This is what it says. John says that, there was a sea of glass-like crystal. The sea in heaven is still. It is calm. It is at peace. This shows the utter sovereignty of the Lord. The raging sea is stilled by the very word of God. There is nothing outside his control, and this should give us peace. This should give us peace in the midst of a world that is chaotic and uncertain and unpredictable. In the Gospel of Mark, we hear a familiar story of Jesus calming a storm. Him and his disciples are on a boat in a violent storm. They get caught out there. Jesus is sleeping. His disciples are in a panic. They wake him up, and what does Jesus do? He rebukes the wind. He says, peace, be still. And it says that there was a great calm. When John has a vision of the new Jerusalem toward the end of Revelation, in the new heavens and the new earth, he sees that there's actually no more sea. And this is just symbolic of the fact that when Christ returns, there will be no more evil in the world. We see in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, again, this is in the renewed creation, there's a river titled the River of Life that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb throughout the city. And this river nourishes. This river provides blessing, peace, joy. This is a picture of the Garden of Eden restored and God again dwelling with his people. We need not fear 
we need not worry nor panic in this life because of the confidence and the peace that we have in Christ and what he has accomplished. We can taste this peace in the here and now because we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us as believers. Verse 7 of this Psalm 46 reminds us that the Lord of hosts is with us. And the psalmist is going to repeat the same verse at the end of the psalm in verse 11. That is a theme here. And in Revelation 21, in the new heaven and new earth that await us, God says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Maybe today you need to be reminded of the peace that is yours in Christ. Maybe today you need to be reminded to take refuge in the Lord. Or maybe today you realize that you lack this peace, that you have not experienced this peace, that this is not your refuge. And I'll just tell you that this peace is freely offered that Jesus has secured this peace. When you place your faith in Jesus, when you turn from your old ways of life and repent of your sin, and you submit to Jesus as King and Lord of your life, this refuge, this peace, this confidence is eternally yours. Let's transition now to the last few verses in our third big idea for today. And our last big idea for today is this. When we take refuge in the Lord, we will see him exalted over his enemies. And I'll reread verses 8 through 11. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In this last section, we see that one day God will be exalted throughout all of the earth. And that he will have victory over all of his enemies. And this picture that we see in verses 8 through 11 is after the battle is already over. There are no more troubles that face the people of God. God has brought desolation upon the earth. Prior to this section, we saw nations and enemies that surrounded the holy city of God who wanted to cause chaos, but inside the city walls was peace. But now, here in this last section, we see that the battle is over. It's already happened. It was a decisive victory for the Lord. And we don't read many details of the battle, but we do see that there were broken bows, shattered spears, and charred chariots. You see, when Jesus first came, he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey in a lowly estate. He was headed for the cross. But we know that when Christ returns a second time, he comes riding in on a white horse. And we are told that the one riding in on this white horse is called faithful and true. 
and in righteousness. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And we see him coming to strike down the enemy nations. And the result is that wars cease and that there is peace throughout the earth. This helps remind us of the certainty of the final outcome in history. God wins. And when we are united to Christ, we win. All brokenness, all pain, all sin is eradicated because of God's ultimate and final victory, his judgment upon the earth. And this leads to the next verse. And it's a very popular verse for coffee mugs and t-shirts. I'm sure you've seen it around. It says this, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And while we see this verse littered all over the place, it actually has a couple different interpretations, options here. Either God is addressing the enemies and the nations, or God is addressing the people of Israel. Or it could be a little bit of both. And some commentators think that the primary focus is God is addressing the enemy nations and that the secondary focus is addressing his people. And that's kind of where I land on this. And we see a shift here. The psalm up to this point was talking about God in the third person. But here, in verse 10, it shifts. God is speaking directly to his listeners in the first person. And so if God is addressing the enemy nations, he is commanding them to be silent. Because he is going to conquer them. He's going to reign. He's going to be exalted and glorified throughout all the earth. He would be telling the enemies and those surrounding nations to, to be still, to be quiet, because you don't stand a chance against the almighty hand of God. And through God's conquering, his name is going to be exalted and glorified. And there's going to be peace. And if God is addressing the people of Israel which through implication is us as modern-day Christians, it has a slightly uh, similar but different take. He would be saying, cease striving. Wait. Be patient. It's a command to acknowledge who the Lord is. Acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Acknowledge his might, his strength, his power. God is saying, take comfort knowing that I will be exalted and glorified. He's telling his people to be silent and watch God fight for you. Sometimes in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of chaos and distress and panic, all the things that life throws at us, we lose sight that God is in control. And yet, his sovereignty is a beautiful truth to cling to. In God's eternal wisdom, he does everything according to what will bring him the most glory. And when we, as God's people, see God being exalted, when we see him being glorified, we experience an unceasing peace that transcends our earthly circumstances and, and, and situations. God is telling us to be still, to be quiet. Recognize that the God of the universe is for you. He is your strength. He is your refuge. And he will be exalted now and eternally. 
So what are you currently worrying about as you head into this new year? What keeps you up at night? God is telling us, silence those thoughts. Fix your eyes, fix your heart, fix your mind on the Lord. We have a God who is on our side and who will win. And this should give us a deep, deep rooted confidence and peace in our lives that is then evident to those around us. It should be notable to others, even when we are in the midst of trials. This doesn't mean that we can't display emotion and pain. That is necessary. But it does mean that even when we are expressing and experiencing pain, the hope that we have in Jesus shines through us. The way that we live our lives should reflect the confidence that we have. The way we respond and engage with others, the way we respond to the government and to things outside of our control, it should be categorically different than the secular world around us. When others peer into your life right now, what are they seeing? Are they seeing someone who is no different than the world around them? This year, we have an opportunity to showcase the confidence that we have in God. This can be a year where others peer into your life, and although there's trials and tribulations and troubles, that there's a peace in your life. And when others cannot understand where this peace comes from, you can tell them. You can explain it to them. This psalm can be one of hope for those who do not know Jesus. This psalm can be one of hope to those who have taken refuge in the things of this life, in career, in relationship, in family, in, in money, in recreation. Because I guarantee that those refuges are going to fail them if they have not already. And when it does, when it does fail them, it's going to feel like the chaos that we see in this psalm. It's going to feel like the world is crashing in around them. And when that happens, this is where we as Christians can share the peace that we have with them. That in the midst of the storm, there is an unshakable refuge. There is an unceasing peace. There is an unwavering confidence that they can have. We can point them to Jesus, to the one who is, to the one who is to come, to the one who brings salvation and with it everlasting peace and joy. Because here's the reality. The reality is we'll either be in the city of God at peace or that we'd be slain on the battlefield. Christ will come again as judge. And if we are found striving to build our own refuge, striving to build our own little kingdoms, striving after the passions and the lusts of the world, the battle is not going to end well. God is going to be exalted over all who oppose him. But for those who cease striving, for those who forsake building their own earthly kingdoms, for those who find refuge in the Lord, for those who say, I cannot stand in this battle. I cannot stand. I fall short. I'm trusting in Jesus for salvation, for the one who I know will win the battle. They will be the ones who are justified and glorified. They will be the ones who dwell with the Lord in fullness of joy and peace forevermore. Verse 11 ends with the repetition again of verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. For those who have 
trust in Christ for salvation can take confidence knowing that the Lord of hosts is with us. In this new year, let us be those who experience peace, who display peace, and who point others to the source of our peace. Let us be ones who find refuge in the Lord and see him exalted and glorified over his enemies. I don't know about you, but I love watching thunderstorms. I love it. I love the pouring rain, the flashes of lightning. I love the cracks of thunder, although my dog doesn't. I would hate to be caught out in a thunderstorm, but I love the feeling of being safe in my home while I get to watch a good thunderstorm take place. And I think this is a good analogy because this year, when you feel the storm coming, when you feel the nations raging, when you feel the world crashing in around you, take refuge in the Lord. When trouble comes, Find your strength in him. When trials and tribulations blow your way this year, remember, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our fortress. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a privilege to gather and to worship this morning, to hear from Psalm 46 and to be reminded of where our refuge comes from, where our confidence and our peace comes from. I pray that this year would be marked by one where we continually turn to you, that we continually place our trust and hope in you, that we take refuge in you, that we find our strength in you in time of need, that we look to the city of God, to the river that flows through it, and think to your son Jesus, who conquered the grave for us, who brought us back into the presence of you, Father. That is our guarantee. And one day we get to look forward to that. When you do return, we get to be in your presence and experience fullness of joy. Help us to find peace this year, to display our peace to others this year, to point others to the source of our peace. And that peace can only be found in you, Jesus. We ask this all in your name. Amen.